Jesus' piercing, penetrating omniscience sees into each of our hearts. He knows whether we have a mask on or not. He knows whether we're trying to present ourselves as something that in fact we are not. He says, you're hypocrites. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever noticed Jesus' ability to get straight to the truth, especially when it comes to assessing people's character? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part three of a series titled Tradition. Eighteen times Jesus calls someone a hypocrite in the Gospels. Sixteen of those times, it's the religious leaders of Israel. Now, this should be a powerful reminder to you that Jesus' piercing, penetrating omniscience sees directly into your heart. He knows whether you have a mask on or not, and He knows whether you're trying to present yourself as something that you're indeed not. The question is, how can you know if you're wearing a mask or not? Keep that in mind as we join Tom now on The Word Unleashed. In 2008, in the summer, about 40 of us from countryside were able to go over to Israel and take a wonderful tour of that land, understand the topography, the geography, the archaeology, as well as the biblical history of that land. And it was a great trip. Uh, it's now one of several trips I've been able to take there. And each time that I've gone to the land of Israel, I've enjoyed the trips. But each time I've gone, I have been further reminded of and impressed by the pervasive, destructive power and influence of religious legalism. Although most Israelis are secular, the influence of the Hasidim and the Orthodox is everywhere. And so there's this pervasive legalism that touches almost every aspect of Jewish life. A few examples, if you've not been there, may help you to sort of understand. One of them would be the phylacteries. You've heard about them. you read about them in the New Testament. They take that command to bind the Word of God to your, to your heart and to your forehead between your eyes, and they take it very literally. On these straps are boxes, and inside those boxes are scrolls, parchments that contain the Scripture. But it goes on beyond that, particularly the Sabbath laws is one of the, way, one of the places where I've noticed it most of all. For example, if you stay in a large hotel in Jerusalem as we did, then you'll see that on the Sabbath there is a rule, there is a law against changing money. Well, obviously business has to go on. People have to check in and out of the hotel on, on Shabbat. And so instead of uh, working it out some other way, they simply put up screens so that what goes on every day continues to go on, you just can't see it. And that makes it all right. There are Shabbat elevators that stop every other floor because to push a button, an electrical button on the Sabbath would be to start a fire, according to the rabbis. And so you don't want to do that. That would be work. And so if you're in a, ele- in a hotel that has many floors, you simply wait till the elevator comes to your floor you get onto that elevator, you don't have to push any buttons because it'll automatically stop at every other floor, and then you just get off at the floor that 
is closest to the one you're trying to get to and walk from there and you never had to touch any of the buttons. Based on the command not to cook an animal in its mother's milk, uh, it's forbidden in Israel to serve meat and dairy together in the same meal. So I hate to tell some of you, some of you would die because there are no cheeseburgers in Israel. On my first trip there, I led a group of about 400 Grace to You listeners. And um, one of those 400 guests almost created an international incident one night at the hotel there in Jerusalem because we'd been served beef. And uh, most Americans, uh, with, with dessert, you want coffee, and they did serve coffee. Along with coffee on each table, there, there was the normal sugar and and a sweetener, and then there was these little packages of creamer to put in your coffee, the little um, powdered creamer. That's acceptable because that's not a, it's a non-dairy product. Well, not understanding how all of this worked, one of the men that was with us in one of the other tables, uh, unbeknownst to us, went on a crusade to find him some milk or half and half for his coffee. He wasn't going to settle for the powdered stuff, and he went toward the kitchen and found at a serving station a little uh, thing of, of milk. And he was bringing it back to his table when one of the waiters fortunately realized what was going on, stopped him and said, you can't do that. And so tragedy was averted because if he had put that cream in his coffee, I'm not teasing about this, if he'd put that cream in his coffee because we'd had beef at that meal, that entire huge hotel there in Jerusalem would have been, been rendered unclean or non-kosher. And every single dish and every single cup and every pot and every serving utensil would have had to undergo a ritual cleansing before any practicing Jew could have eaten there. It still permeates the life of the family. A typical Jewish family still on Shabbat goes to the kitchen sink before their meals each week, and there they complete the ritual washing of the hands. They fill a large cup with water, and then they pour the water onto both of their hands three times, and then they recite the appropriate blessing. You have to do that before you eat the Shabbat meals, the Sabbath meals. Those are just a few examples of the sort of all-pervasive character of religious legalism. In some cases, their rules and regulations not only obscure the original intention of Scripture, but they actually undermine it. And that was the very issue which put the religious leaders of Jesus' time and our Lord on a collision course. And the collision comes in Mark 7. Now, as Mark unfolds his account, we see really two parts of this account unfold. The first is the external nature of legalism in verses 1 through 5, and then Jesus' personal diagnosis of really the heart and soul of legalism in verses 6 through 13. Last time, we looked at the first five verses and the external nature of legalism. Let me just read for you those first five verses again. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The point of the conflict here between Christ and this group of inquisitors was the ceremony that had become required before eating, not to render yourself hygienically clean, but to render yourself clean in the sight of God ceremonially. Just a couple hundred years before Christ, this tradition had begun for every Jewish male. It is taught not in the Bible, but instead it was taught by the old venerated rabbis. Verses 3 and 4 explain where this group of Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem was coming from. They'd been sent probably on a mission to catch Jesus early in Mark. They're after him. They want to kill him. They want to trap him. And so they come on a fresh mission to find something against him. And the the point of conflict comes with this issue of hand washing. Some of the disciples, not all of them, they witness not ceremonially cleansing themselves, probably not even before a meal, but before a sort of snack in the busyness of this day. And they confront Jesus. What they did didn't stop with hand washing before eating, though, as you saw there in verses 3 and 4. It had grown to include much more. This was the system of the Pharisees. And in light of that, these men want to know why Jesus' disciples haven't taken that oral tradition seriously. Verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? That reveals to us the external nature of legalism. It's all about ceremony. It's all about the external cleansing. And so Jesus now is going to take us to the heart of what's really going on. Jesus' personal diagnosis of legalism comes in verses 6 through 13. In Jesus' response to them, he doesn't answer their question directly. Have you ever noticed Jesus does that? He doesn't answer directly their question. Instead, he goes to the real heart of the issue. Let's walk through his sort of spiritual diagnosis of religious legalism together. Begins in verse 6. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. I wish in many ways you'd never heard this interchange, you'd never read the story, because I think sometimes we lose the impact. Remember now, these men were the spiritual elite. They were the leaders of the nation religiously, which meant in many respects, apart from the Romans, they were the leaders. They show up as representatives from the Jerusalem crowd to catch Jesus, and they confront him right away from a point of sort of moral and biblical superiority. You call yourself a rabbi? Why don't your disciples do this? Anybody knows. Any rabbi worth his salt knows that this has been the tradition that's been passed on. And to that, Jesus responds and says, you are hypocrites. 
The word hypocrite is a word that has passed into English from Greek. It's a word taken from the Greek theater. Greek theater was a relatively small budget operation. And so at times, a Greek actor may play several parts in the same play. He would simply go backstage, perhaps change costume, perhaps not, but what he would change is a mask that he would use to cover his face. Sometimes they were secured, other times they were simply held in front of the actor's face. Once they came back on stage with that mask, they were to assume the role, whatever it was, of that particular person. So the word came to mean play actor or pretender. It originally meant one who acts, but it came to mean a play actor or a pretender. It describes someone who plays a role, who pretends to be what they're not, a person pretending to be who, in fact, he's not. That's a hypocrite. Eighteen times Jesus calls someone a hypocrite in the Gospels. Sixteen of those times, it's the religious leaders of Israel. This doesn't mean, by the way, that the Pharisees were only superficially committed to their religion. That isn't what he's saying. They were all too dedicated, all too committed to their external religion. In that sense, they were sincere. Nor does it mean that they were consciously play acting. What Jesus is saying when he calls them hypocrites is that they are trying to pass themselves off as righteous externally when in fact they've done nothing to clean up on the inside. They've, they're not truly righteous and close to God. They are wicked and ungodly and their hearts are far away from him. They were playing a role, acting, wearing a mask, pretending to be what in fact they were not. This is a powerful reminder to us, isn't it? That Jesus' piercing, penetrating omniscience sees into each of our hearts. He knows whether we have a mask on or not. He knows whether we're trying to present ourselves as something that in fact we are not. And he sees right through these men. He says, you're hypocrites. There was a radical inconsistency, Hebert writes, between what they claimed to be and what they really were. Now, in response to them, Jesus quotes from the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, from Isaiah 29:13. Isaiah had written this to his contemporaries 700 years before Christ, but through the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he was actually also describing the scribes and Pharisees. Whether he means Isaiah intended, the Holy Spirit intended to describe the, the scribes and Pharisees, or whether it's simply an appropriate description of them, we can't be absolutely sure. But regardless, Jesus says, this is you. It fits very well. Now, the indictment in Isaiah is twofold. First of all, that their worship was merely external because it never really affects their hearts. Notice what Jesus says in verse 6. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. It's interesting, as you go through the Old Testament, this contrast between what comes out of the mouth and what's really in the heart is a frequent theme. You find it in a number of the Old Testament prophets, in Isaiah 1 and Hosea 6, Amos 5 and Micah 6, other places as well. 
people were more concerned about outward show than inward reality. There was a great gulf between their verbal profession and their true inner condition. In fact, Jesus goes to this very point in Matthew 23. Turn over there. Matthew 23, his indictment of the Pharisees, it is a blistering tirade against the Pharisees. We'll look at it more two weeks from tonight. But I want you to notice how he describes them as far as this this external, everything looks great, internally, not so good. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, small spices, and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law. So you're all worried about tithing your spices, but you've forgotten the really important stuff, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That is a a powerful picture. In your effort to avoid uncleanness, You'll strain your water so you don't get a gnat in your water, which would be render you unclean, but it's like you're willing at the same time to swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For here, Here's the point I was going to. Notice verse 25. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs on which the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too, here's the punchline, you too outwardly appear righteous to men but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's why they were hypocrites. They did everything they could to appear outwardly righteous when inside they were putting on a show and they were filled with all kinds of disobedience to God. It was all external. The second part of Isaiah's indictment that Jesus brings against them back in Mark 7, is that their worship was worthless because it was all built on human rules. Look at verse 7. But in vain do they worship me. That is, it's worthless. It doesn't accomplish anything. Because they teach as doctrines the precepts of men. Now, very important distinction here. Notice verse 7. The indictment is not of those who follow these man-made doctrines, but those who teach them. Their guilt and culpability is much greater. Jesus finishes the quote, and then in verse 8, he applies it directly to the Pharisees. Look at verse 8. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Now, look at that verse with the contrasts, neglecting or holding to, the commandment or the tradition, and the source either being God or men. You see those contrasts? You've neglected God's commandment, you're holding on to man-made tradition. They have a terribly misplaced sense of values. They neglected God's commandment. 
Verse 9, he goes on to say, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Now here, Jesus ratchets up the attack on these guys. Now it's not just that they neglect God's commandment, as it says in verse 8, they are intentionally setting it aside. Let me translate this for you literally from the Greek text. Listen to what Jesus says. Well, or beautifully, you are rejecting the commandment of God in order to cause your tradition to stand. Beautifully, you are rejecting the commandment of God in order to cause your tradition to stand. Now it's intentional. They have deliberately, willfully substituted man-made rules for the Word of God. The word to reject is to regard no longer as authoritative. They have turned against God's law for their own rules. Jesus decides to give them an example of exactly what he's talking about, how their oral tradition actually ends up annulling God's commandments. And he uses an example that has to do with parents. Look at verse 10. Four, here, let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about, Jesus says. Here's how it works. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Now, let me just give you a little aside before we look at what that means. A couple of interesting notes here with what is in the first of verse 10. Number one, here Jesus affirms the mosaic authorship of Exodus. You know, there are a lot of liberals and even some people who call themselves evangelical conservatives who reject the mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. Jesus here affirms that Moses wrote, and he quotes from Exodus 20 and 21. And Jesus said it was written by Moses. Also, Jesus affirms the doctrine of inspiration. Because notice here in verse 10, he says, Moses said, and in verse 13, he calls it the Word of God. So, just a couple of little notes. Now, the example Jesus chooses here is their undermining specifically of the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment deals with the issue of submitting ourselves and honoring duly constituted authority. God has in his world set up a, a system of authority and submission to that authority. The fifth commandment reminds us of that reality and all of those relationships where God has set up duly constituted authority, whether it be government or parents or elders in a church or a husband over a wife, in every one of those cases, they are, those are duly constituted positions of authority. This fifth commandment reminds us of that, but it chooses one of those relationships of authority and submission, and it's the one that has to do with parents. We must honor and respect, children must, their parents. To honor simply means to hold and respect. It implies an attitude, an attitude of respect that issues out in obedience for children still under their parents' authority. It's a very important commandment. It is one of the ten words. It is one of the hooks on which God wants us to hang a large number of his commands in terms of submission to authority. And if you, if you wonder whether or not this commandment's very important, notice how important this command to honor parents is to God. Look at the second half of verse 10. 
And here he quotes, uh, in the commandment, he of course quoted Exodus 20, verse 12. Here he quotes Exodus 21, verse 17. He who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that's translated speak evil here doesn't mean to curse. It can include that, but it doesn't mean primarily that. The Hebrew word means to belittle, to make light of, and it can mean to curse. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, Tradition. Tom will have part four for you on our next program, and we hope to see you then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.